do I need to explain it to like five-year-olds? <laughs> no, no, it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's like interesting question. <laughs> to the next episode of Cloud Udo, the podcast that is focused on cloud technologies. Uh, this podcast is delivered to you by Revolji. Uh, my name is Stepan, and I'm here with our special guest, uh, Erwin Weber from Paktum. Hello, Erwin. Welcome here. And I'm glad that uh, after actually some time we know each other, you accepted the invitation to our podcast. Uh, thanks for joining today, and I hope it will be fun for you. Yes, hello everyone, and it's really nice to be here because I'm very interested in all the things about the cloud here in Estonia. And that podcast is, I think it's rising star for promoting the cloud, so it's nice to be here. Thanks a lot, thanks for the nice words. So, first of all, Erwin, how are you doing? Uh, are you enjoying this summer, or is it uh, maybe already too hot, you know, for Estonia? Uh, this summer is definitely hot for Estonia, but I like it. I like that the water is still swimmable, that we don't have all the things that makes water polluted and shores closed. So yeah, summer is actually very good this year. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's like almost like being in Croatia or somewhere like there. Um, so by the way, what, what is your like favorite uh, activity when you are resting, when you are relaxing? Uh, uh, that is a mix of reading, sleeping, and playing computer games. Thank you. Uh, I I know, and um, uh, as we know, know each other for some time, that uh, you are active and keen learner. Um, also, it's visible, you know, from like, I would say, checking your profile and uh, what are your other activities. Um, and what you did in Toggle, also, I would say. Uh, all you things you did and uh, stayed responsible uh, for uh, such a quick growing company in uh, in Togo, I mean, right now. Uh, so, w- what is behind your like big desire to learn, to improve, to uh, you know get new skills? Well, that's interesting question because I think uh, in school time I was not very keen learner and my grades were let's say average. But by the end of the school, I had. A real interest in the computer science. Well, I didn't name it science, of course, but how the computers work, how the web pages can be done and shown to other people, uh, that brought my interest, and I just started self-learning. And at the moment I graduated the school, and when I was applying to university, I actually already had some free certificates from BrainBage, who is actually, well, now I know that they are, uh, internationally well-known certification authority, very serious like level. But at the time I was treating them like, oh, they sent uh, a shiny and bright uh, free certificates to one who passes relatively simple tests. And when I was applying to university, actually the BrainBench certificates gave me a bonus points when I was like applying to the university. And that made me think like, wow, sometimes such papers count. Interesting, interesting. So, so there, there it all started, right? Uh, your, yes. Yeah, you mentioned like, uh, yeah, like computer science. That it's, uh, of course, your favorite topic. Uh, do you have also some, you know, other other things you like to learn except IT and computer science? Uh, yes. Currently, as my daughter is two years old, I'm having a lot of interest in, in kids' parenting, and actually also a bit wider in people and how they think, how they behave, and. Uh, Wise, all the different wise of their behavior. Yeah, it's, it's of course it loops back into my like managerial role to make people who work with me happy and their needs covered. But it also is curiosity about how the kids grow, how to communicate with them. So, do you see some connection between you know being the manager and being a parent actually? Uh, yes, so a lot. So. During my paternity leave, I was rereading uh, the books about the agile processes and agile development, and it was very obvious at the time 
because I had two things at the same time, that actually parenting and the agile practices are very, very similar. Uh, let's think about, like, I don't know, working as a team when you're changing diaper or establishing a dictionary which is agile practice, but you do it with kids who doesn't speak English or Russian or any human language yet, but still had needs and joy and feelings that has to communicate somehow. And you establish dictionary and you both benefit because when the child has needs attended, so he, like, grows happier. And exactly the same applies to your team of engineers. If you have their needs covered, they can do very awesome work. I agree. I agree with you. Um, I know you are also leading the Google Developer Group here in Tallinn. Uh, what is the main reason behind it uh, when you started and why it was? I think it's a happy coincidence. Uh, as you probably know, the Google Cloud is not yet very adopted in Estonia for very different reasons, which we probably will discuss a bit later. But at the time, there was a Google initiated the community roadshow where the several people of Google developer relationship team just took the bus, put all the different posters and hands-on demos inside it, and did a road trip across the Baltics and Eastern Europe. Uh, because I was at time already very, very interested in Google Cloud, I showed up and basically asked the question from audience, like, yeah, Google Cloud is awesome, but where is local community? Mm, I skipped a few parts which are not in very interested, but basically a week after that I was already approved for starting the local group. That's cool. How big is the group right now in Tallinn? Uh, it's a bit complicated because we migrated from uh, meet.com or meetup.com mm -hmm. to the Google-owned platform. It was for different reasons, and mainly the Google-owned platform is a bit better suited for Google developer groups because internal reporting and things are just easier. And the not last reason was, of course, that meetup.com had raised pricing at some point, which was not very attractive, and we lost many members during that migration. I think currently in the group are around 50 members, but before migration we had around 200 people at Meetup. Okay. Uh, what are like, um, you know, typical activities you are doing with the, with the Google Developer Group? Um, well, there are some topics dedicated to learning. For example, we will have study group dedicated for DevOps certification starting in September. It will be really free for everybody. You don't actually need to be group member to attend. And uh, from different sides, we have basically social gatherings where we just meet and talk about all the things, but inevitably they come related to the cloud because we are passionate about it and happy to talk about it. And we also do uh, uh, joint watching of main keynotes like Google I.O. or Cloud Next uh, live stream watching together because that allows us to do local hallway track where we discuss what th things are announced, how we can use it and how it applies here to locals, to Estonians. Okay, uh, are you planning also streaming this year uh, from Google Next? Uh, this year... It's a bit complicated because I know that it will be mixed online and on-site event and the stream schedule is built in a way that major keynotes will be happening at different times and different time zones. So probably we will not stream it, but maybe we will do a recap event where we just pick up the main announcements group them together and present it as single, I don't know, 20-minute presentation, like most important announcements or something like that. Okay, yeah, that sounds reasonable. I'm also interested how actually it will look like this year, because it's a bit bit mysterious, but I'm, I'm sure it will be you know, fun and interesting. Well, I did fill online registration form and selected one of the four on-site locations as being closest to me, but let's see what happens. Exactly. Let's see. Okay, uh, I will come back to you know the main topic of our podcast, and I have to ask you the most question from the 
basic one, but I have two. So, uh, could you tell us uh, when you first met any of, let's say, cloud technology, and then you can maybe uh, be more specific about uh, the, the Google Cloud that uh, that is, you know, also as you said, uh, your favorite one and connected with the developer group. It's a very interesting question because of different meanings of a cloud. I can actually do a bit cheating and say that any web hosting provider can be a cloud in a way. And that means that at the time when I published my first web page on some site that is not in my home computer, I was using the cloud. But it's not the modern cloud which offers all the serverless capabilities and APIs. But it was, I think it was Zone EE. No, actually it was Internet AA, which was non-profit free hosting organization. And I was dealing with website for Estonian Union of National Minorities. And it was basically the end of the past century. Okay, okay. So it was the the first one, as you said, a bit like this cheating yes. one. And what about what about GCP? Uh, I think I have around six years of GCP experience by now. Um, so well, you said it, but uh, do you have also yeah, but you have experience with this like no cloud time. So when there wasn't this like hyperscalers, I mean, when uh, there was yeah, this like local hosting uh, uh, opportunities, etc. So. Uh, how it was then, like, if you compare the biggest differences when there were no, like, uh, cloud as the big ones right now, GCP or AWS, or Azure, of course. <laughs> well, lack of hyperscalers, in a way, was forcing people to write a lot of optimized code, which was running in the constrained conditions. Well, our neighbor country, Finland, has an assembly every year, which is gathering of people, and they have an intro competition. And if you take a look, how much amazing things can be packed into 46, uh, yeah, no, 64 kilobyte demo, which is intro that you look like video for several minutes with visuals and audio. Actually, a lot of resources don't need to be auto-scaled and hyper-scaled because Estonia is a small country. And uh, if you're producing big data, it doesn't mean that you produce big knowledge here. So, but that from other side, the cloud gives you opportunity to target multiple countries so that for every country there is no signal trip over the ocean adding latency, so you can be local to everyone on the planet. Makes sense. Um, well, you partially touched it, so uh, where, where do you see like the biggest benefits of cloud computing? I mean, the and then the hyperscale uh, cloud computing. Basically, we are recording this in August, and past Wednesday, there was an event in Estonia with one kilowatt of electricity costing four euros and one megawatt costing four thousand yeah. euros. And imagine you are having an on-premise data center with all the kilowatts of energy that you would be using, and. For example, I know that Virogascos basically pulse the conditioning because of the pricing of electricity. And if you delegate the computing, which is not your core business, to someone else, they do it at scale. And that means that they will have dedicated pricing for electricity. They will have dedicated facilities and all the problems that are not your main business will be covered by people for whom it is main business. Yeah, that's that's interesting like to, to see it from this aspect in these uh, these times right now when actually the idea the electricity was starting to be a problem. So yeah, interesting point of view. Um maybe could you quickly mention uh, like uh, which which cloud provider did you use in, in your previous job in Togol and right now in Paktum, for example? And just very briefly to say why you decided for uh, that or another one? Uh, well, to not breach any days, let's say that I have Google Cloud experience, a bit of Rackspace, and I had interesting evaluation period for Amazon services as well. 
great. Uh, do you see, um, do not talk specifically about those companies, um, that let's say one of these is uh, better suitable for specific use, use case or specific type of the company? Or do you see in these days that uh, the cloud computing is more like a commodity and you are like choosing, I don't know, the cost optimal way or simply that there are no that, that big differences in the, you know, in the actual product? Well, you are right because major cloud providers now give you more or less the same building blocks with which you can build your uh, thing that you want to build. Uh, where are minor differences? For example, I don't know, Google Cloud provides you a global network by default and in Amazon you will have to bridge regional networks in a way that works best for you. But if you look from our side, it means that uh, in Amazon you are less likely to get accidental cross-continental transfers because you had to enable them manually. And if you talk about the Azure or Alibaba or Yandex Cloud, well, sometimes you want to please the regulators of the country that you are targeting. By default, of course, I would suggest to go with cloud that you know most. But uh, from other side, uh, I found in Google Cloud a lot of conveniences that make my life personally much, much better compared to our places. And when I discuss with people who are using our clouds, I discover that the things that I take for granted at Google are actually a huge pain in our clouds. For example, in Google pops up queuing service. I can basically send huge amounts of data as payload, but that competing cloud, I will need to manually chunk them, renumber chunks, then try to combine them and hope that they get in the same order, etc. So yeah, for me, default cloud is Google Cloud, and I would encourage people to learn and benefit from it. Yeah, I have, uh, have one one question prepared for this uh, uh, for this aspect actually. So. Um, you know, right now you'll probably agree with me that uh, AWS is quite dominant, at least in this uh, like startup or digital native uh, scene. Uh, why do you think it's it's like that? And uh, do you think that in the future it will be more equal that uh, you know there will be more companies in the digital native world also using uh, GCP or Azure or maybe some someone completely new or someone else? Well. People tend to use the thing that they know most. By default, unless they have serious reasons to switch to some other thing. And uh, Amazon, if like we take globally, when Amazon did launch two years earlier. And if we talk about the here local startup communities and local scene, I mean like Estonia and neighboring countries, then uh, well, unfortunately, unfortunately, we have such thing as called Estonian Mafia, which is basically people who were working in successful startup, they just at some point start their own company and it becomes a successful startup because they know how the things were done in startup to be successful. So it's like quite closed community of highly successful startups. And recently was an exhibit in museum of freedom and they had a pedigree chart on a wall for Estonian mafia and they drew out uh, three kinds of uh, lines between companies basically it was investor relationship worked in relationship and founder relationship and it was very inter interconnected thingy and at the root of it is a people who picked Amazon for whatever reason and then it's kind of Let's take Amazon because the company I was working before did pick Amazon and it was high success. Nowadays, I believe that Google offers, for example, security enhancements, which may make the move from Amazon to Google Cloud justified, just because you get like full ecosystem of security and you have less passwords to deal with. 
as startups tend to get more and more compliant to international regulations, they may jump Amazon to just get compliance for free or easier. Um, what about Azure? Do you think, you know, because right now Azure is like, uh, I think, quite well present in the enterprise or like traditional sector. Uh, do you think that they can also like uh, start being more active in the startup scene or uh, it's probably not, not their feel and you think that they will stay in the enterprise? If I would speculate about successes of Azure, then I would say that it was very, very good strategy by Microsoft who was giving Microsoft Office and Windows to the schools. In the end of the last century and in the beginning of this century, I think currently this practice is less popular because there is much more alternatives to the Microsoft Office package, let's say so. But that time it was giving you an ecosystem of Windows, Word, Excel, working great together. And over time, the Word and Excel did migrate for into the cloud. And after that, you get single sign-on for your cloud resources, your Excel, and your Word, for example. It integrates well with Windows, and now you get an I think it's exclusive to Azure. Basically, you get remote workplace for developer or Windows desktop, basically. So, yeah. yeah. They have different strategies to get their own share of pie. Yeah, that's that's true. And they have this big advantage that, as you said, they are present already almost everywhere with different technologies. So it's much more much it could be much easier for them to like inject also other other new well, products there. there is microsoft stuff there literally in every computer because for example they did contribute to linux kernels yeah. they are currently on your machine for whatever reason so yeah yeah i agree with you by the way do you have some uh, you know funny stories or fuck ups connected with uh with cloud or like let's say your, your career in the computer science in general well basically self-dosing and uh, deploying broken code to production is something that i think everyone was doing at one or another point but it's actually not the cloud fault from the cloud problems i would say that uh, maybe misleading documentation so that uh, when documentation states one thing but you perceive the other thing and when uh, Pager at night says, surprise, it actually works as documented. And it's like sad experience. And another thing that bothers me a lot in clouds is when you get, um, basically every cloud has UI console where you manage your resources in browser. And very often that console actually speaks to internal API, not the public API of provider. And that means that everything is fine until you go to infrastructure as code and suddenly you discover that some things cannot be automated because they are available only internal undocumented API and if you want to do to use these pieces you have to be let's say creative or innovative okay okay uh, by the way on your LinkedIn profile you are saying that uh, you are ensuring the most optimal use of the Google Cloud uh, what is for you, uh, or what, what for you does mean like the, the most optimal? Uh, because I think, you know, I read here that it's not just about uh, the cost, that the optimal is like uh, something more. So what, what yes, does what Yes, basically does cost is one of the three important factors. You have, you can imagine it as a triangle. From one hand, you have um, cost. From another factor, let's say you have speed or user experience, like, how available and how fast is your like solution, let's yeah. say so. But there is a third part to it. Let's say it's called security and compliance. And where exactly you need to be positioned in this triangle, it depends on your like business, first of all, and also on stage of your startup. Because if you are starting, you are not looking to be certified from the year one because unless you're dealing with financial sector of course so it's 
like finding a fragile balance that makes your company stand out in competition. Okay. Mm. Last question about uh, the cloud itself, and then we will talk about also, I would say, other aspects that are close to cloud. Um, where do you see like uh, the, the future of, of cloud? But I, I mean something like, let's say, in five years. So do, do you see some like big changes that can come, or you think that just what is already invented will be just you know slightly being improved? Um, I'm not sure about the time scale, but I think that cloud eventually will be much, much closer than it's currently. Yes, there are some experiments by deploying things to the edge, but I see problem that today we have to carry our notebooks with us. I see it as a problem that I need to use personal device to get to my data. Uh, you know, like in the past there was ability to use public phone if you don't have any nearby but, uh, or for example, if you come to some co-working place, you are usually giving Ethernet cable, standard monitor, probably with USB Type-C charger as well, and that's it. But why not have a device that you can walk by? I don't know, you have your retina or your fingerprint and you just use your thing somewhere. Because maybe you didn't have to plan to work but you don't know have something that you want to write down. Yeah. So are you um, in this aspect? Are you like fan of uh, you know virtualization, uh, like you know running the apps as as, uh, as much as possible, basically in cloud, and using just the just the screen basically for accessing them. Well, if I'm not tied to specific endpoint, it means that I'm more portable. But for example, I also always say that your cloud data has to be backed up and not only inside the same cloud. Uh, I don't know, like seven years ago, there was a history that showed that at some point your country can be invaded by our country and as extra gift, all your cloud accounts will be suspended with immediate notice. So, I don't know, I have Synology box at home and it has backup of my personal data. From the cloud. Okay. Okay. Uh, by the way, we should have a small pause here, uh, and I need to check if you are recording because we need to back up. <laughs> uh, but it looks that it's working, so you're fine. Because I found a new for me feature in Google Meet. Actually, if you are alone there, it's uh, eventually locks you out and starts game. It was so nice that it starts a game because yeah. when you are waiting, you can so, play. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, okay, so hope we will use the, the audio from, from your device. I think it will work fine. Well, you know, it's a good principle of SRE redundancy. Yeah, now, now we actually tested in, in practice. Okay, so yeah, let's continue. Mm. Okay, so now we discussed like, you know, technology. Uh, let's uh, spend some time in like your working experience. Um, could you? Tell us more about your uh, your career in Toggle, uh, and you don't have to focus on, on the technology itself. But I, as I know Toggle, uh, I think it's like first or one of the first pioneers of the complete remote working. So, could you maybe also share you know something about it? If if actually it started like that, or there was some transition to became fully remote, and you know how how you felt there actually in a fully remote company. Well. For me, it all started when the company size grew and we didn't fit on the same floor in the building. So there was basically a division into two floors and it means that people, two offices, are remote to each other already. And, uh, well, company owners, they have been greatly inspired by the books and works of Basecamp who was actively preaching remote work at the time, and they have seen the benefits of it before ours getting competitive edge and being able to hire globally. Uh, how it was? Well, I had a small kid, so initially I was preferring to work in the office, just like I'm doing currently. But overall, I think that not needing to spend time to commute is very good benefit. 
but your company culture has to be built around the fact that people are remote because if one single person is remote the whole company has to be remote friendly at least yeah and nowadays with covid with many companies being forced to remote i think the remote is here to stay but it's very very deep in the company culture how you handle it and if you are able to handle it or not yeah, I agree with you. So, so in, um, so in Toggle, you were like, uh, I don't know how to call it, like hundred percent remote. That really you were hiring completely globally, or you were, for example, still focused for I don't know Europe, you know. Uh, we Toggle was completely global company in the end because at start of the pandemic, the office was sold basically. <laughs> So we had remote first before that for many years. Yeah. Uh, where do you see, like, yeah, you said that uh, it's it's a lot about culture, and uh, it's not of of course it's not for every company to to become remote. So where where do you see like the biggest uh, threats of actually you know becoming remote, and mostly like actually becoming so i think you know if you are starting a startup and you already have it in mind that you want to be a remote then it's probably easier to to make it happen but if you already have let's say 100 or 200 people and you just decide to make the switch to the remote working where do you see the biggest problems or the biggest things you should you know be aware of well it's again the company culture if you used to have for water cooler talks in the kitchen that are not documented and bright ideas are in, like decided where and just quietly go to implementation in remote first company you have to basically document everything and also the questions of trust uh, the rumors say that there are companies in which people are not passionate about work and they need dedicated manager to pick over the shoulder to produce something so I can imagine that for such managers going remote is very sad future. Yeah. But again, it's about the culture. Okay. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, but now, uh, for some time, uh, you you are in Paktum. Um, I think if I remember and, uh, that uh, you joined Paktum after actually your paternal leave. Yes. Uh, why you why you decided for Paktum? Uh, and maybe just quickly, if you can tell us what what Paktum is doing actually. Uh, Paktum is the pioneer of autonomous negotiations. Let's say so. And we help huge companies to negotiate better deals for themselves at a scale. Sounds cool. And so. Uh, was this uh, because to me it sounds like you know quite like specific problems you solve? Uh, I think there are not that many like similar companies. So was this like a unique uh, unique proposition? Something that attracted you, or was was it something else? Uh, during my paternity leave, I had some hard decisions about working or not working in Toggle after my paternity leave, and there have been. A lot of reasons to go somewhere else. So after the hard farewells and breakups, let's say so, uh, I was looking for opportunities and I was approaching it uh, in two ways, basically. From one side, I had my own uh, recruiter who was basically representing me on the market and well, basically selling me. And from other side, I just uh, let the word in my social networks that I'm looking for new adventures. And surprisingly, there was more or less equal amount uh, of people who contacted me directly because they know me and they basically wanted me to have me in their company as the amount of people who my recruiter found as partial match to my profile. Mm-hmm. Because I was doing quite a lot of different things in Toggle at the same time, 
my experience profile is not something that you can find off the shelf in every company. And by the end of the day, uh, Pactum actually approached me because they wanted me. I was offering something that was very close to what I was doing before. And because I did my research before, like, accepting or not accepting, I saw that actually this company is doing something that almost no one else is doing. And they have both, like, patents and inspiration to actually break the thing clear. So it was an interesting opportunity to try, and now, almost one year later, I'm very happy. That's cool. And yeah, I'm glad, glad to hear that. We discussed at the beginning, uh, you know, like uh, the, the learning and self-development activities, etc. Uh, do you have currently some project that is more connected or less connected with your with your current work uh, that you are like, you know, learning or something where you would like to move yourself uh, or develop yourself? I think that currently I'm mostly doing uh, parental like self-development to be there for my kids. Yeah, it's it's important as well. But obviously I'm also keeping an eye on technology, which is evolving very very fast. So I just have to be there as well. Yeah, yeah, it's not not an easy job, definitely, to de- be developing in this uh, in this area. Uh, okay, as as we are in Tallinn, and actually after some time we are recording the podcast, uh, not remotely but on site. Uh, I, I have just like you know two small questions about actually Estonia itself. So uh, as yeah, you like computer science. Uh, do you remember the time when it's like you know digitalization movement in Estonia started, and uh, could you maybe? Like you know, share a bit more about uh, about this. How it actually, if you even still remember how it was before when it started, uh, if there were some problems, uh, etc. Uh, I don't remember how I was living in the Soviet Union because I was pretty small at time and my life was concentrated to around home. I don't know, maybe some preschool activities as well, but. Uh, in Estonia, it was purposely developed to be a computer-heavy technology country from the beginning. Basically, as soon as Estonia got free from occupation and, I don't know, Soviet Union, uh, we had decided that because there are no like natural resources that Estonia can sell to the market, we have humans and we have passion for technology. Let's try to do it. Let's digitize the society. And uh, let's do it. And uh, things that I did notice that we had a public computers available. We had an, uh, publicly available wireless internet zones before it was like even think... Uh, in other European countries or in the US, outside the Silicon Valley, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that Estonia is actually your local Silicon Valley, in a sense. It is, it is. I, I agree with you. Uh, well, what do you think that still still need to be improved? Because, like, yeah, I, I live here three years. Uh, for me, it's, uh, like, in in this aspect and many others, like, uh, like a small paradise here. But maybe... For you, as of course you know the country much much better than I do, uh, where do you think that you know we should or the country should focus to, to improve it? I think what they are doing just fine currently. I don't see like any big opportunities to hot fix anything. That's good. That's good. And uh, you know, from the other point of view, uh, what? What are your like favorite things about Estonia? Not only you know like the, the digital part, but like in general. We have very good geographic locations. There are no natural disasters available to this country. Basically, the hurricanes are very rare, for example, 
and I don't know, any tsunami or something like that, it always goes past Estonia somewhere <laughs> to the east, actually. <laughs> so I like the geographic location. I like how weather is regulated here by the basically ocean and being a cooler at the summer and heater in the winter. So it's very, very nice. Yeah, I agree. And at the same time, we are inside the Europe, you know, you grab a plane and boom, whatever you need. It can be anywhere you want. Okay, thank you. Uh, let's continue with our podcast tradition. I, I'm sure you will like it. As you said, you are focusing right now, you know, on the parental activities also. Uh, the game is called Explain Me Like I Am Five-Year-Old. Uh, I will tell you one, two, three, five terms and uh, try to explain it to me as I would be a kid, actually. <laughs> so, let's go. First one, um, developer group. It's a group of people who are passionate about technology. Let's say it's Hobby good. Club. Good, good. Um, was easy one. <laughs> uh, next one. Uh, autonomous negotiations. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, negotiation is something that starts after someone says no. Imagine that you're a kid and you don't want to go to the bed at nine as you usually have to every evening. So when mom reminds you at nine that you have to go to bed, you start arguing with her and you're trying to find some arguments why you have to go later. For example, you can promise that if you go later today, you will do dishes tomorrow. And at the same time, you know that maybe your father or your aunt, they are a bit easier to agree on some circumstances and instead dishes it will be enough if you clean up your toys yourself. Uh, that's negotiations in the sense that you try to reach agreement on something. And autonomous negotiations is that you don't go yourself to every member of your family trying to find opportunity. You delegate that to robot who does it concurrently and automatically. <laughs> it might be actually a useful toy for, uh, you know, for, for some kids. <laughs> Okay, uh, good. Uh, next one is uh, DevOps engineer. Imagine that you are in the hospital and after the surgery there is a dedicated nurse who are looking and monitoring your vitals and is able to call the specialist if something bad is happening. And also that person is taking extra care for you, attending to your needs and is aware about your special needs after the surgery. And DevOps engineer is an engineer who is dealing with application that is already serving the customers and helps the product and helps the application reach the customers, let's say so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can I can imagine it like that. My favorite one <laughs> uh, is cloud. Well, if you ask it that way, then it's a natural source of rain. Okay, and uh, another cloud? <laughs> uh, imagine that you want to play your PlayStation 5 on a hot summer day. At some point, the console gets very hot and loud. And that distracts you from gaming. So you decide to put your console into your basement. Uh, after some time, the console turns off because you forgot to do the cooling and all the things that your console needs, like internet connection, for example. So you spend a lot of time and money to make your basement good for your console, and you discover that all the kids on your street have the same problem. So you offer them to store their PlayStation in your basement, so they can get a long cable and just play on their TV, without the noise and heat produced by console. Uh, the cloud is a similar opportunity to not deal with infrastructure needs for your computers and delegate it to someone else. Okay, that's good. Uh, definitely, definitely the original one. I didn't hear it in the previous episodes. 
by the way, uh, what computer games you are looking for uh, right now? Do I need to explain it to like five year old? <laughs> no, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's like interesting question. Uh, currently, well, I have one big problem about the direction where the gaming is heading, like in general, and. I think that games actually have to be regulated by the same authorities who regulate the hazard games, casinos, etc. Because it's getting out of hand very quickly. Basically, the micropayments which are forced by people who investigate psychology and teach the game tricks to sneak money out of you, earn more money than, say, car builders, for example. And they are not regulated because they are games for kids, not the casino. But back to the original question, currently I'm actually looking for the game which is not yet released, it's called Palia, and it's basically similar to Stardew Valley, but it will be multiplayer, like massively online Stardew Valley, let's say so. Okay, yeah. By the way, regarding this like uh, microtransactions, I I played one of the the old Assassin Creeds, like uh, which one it was Origins or Unity, I think, like seven years old game, and it's still there. You know, you can still like actually pay to make the game easier. I was like, come on, it's like well, really seven years old game. Great, I don't want to pay for it. Great problem is that for many people, they actually don't even know that there was ability in the past that you buy a game on media one time and it's your game to keep forever and you don't need to pay anything. Uh, basically, they see that, let's say, let's call them the donation garbage means, for example, on mobile phone and they know that you can start for free. And it's obvious for them that you don't need to spend any money. But when they realize that all the games ask for money, and so it's like basically baseline from them. And that's very sad. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's get back to the last uh, last term to explain like, uh, like M5. And it's uh, e-residency. Imagine that you want to play a computer game with your friends. Usually, the multiplayer games ask you to create some login credentials so the game can know who you are and your friends can trust you that you are the one you claim to be. And e-residency is ability to create account in the country so the banks, hospitals will know who you are and trust your online identity. Okay, good, good. Thank you. Uh, I like this part of the podcast. Every time it's interesting. Uh, okay, uh, now we are getting uh, to the end, but uh, there is like a small inspirational part. Um, could you share with me and with our listeners uh, some of like uh, media you follow, maybe YouTube channels, uh, maybe Twitter accounts, something you would recommend to you know people interested in cloud or in anything else you like uh, that uh, they should uh, they should follow. Uh, I'm not very into Twitter. I'm using an RSS reader in which I have around 500 subscriptions or something like that. And it produces me around 800 new items every day okay. to, dig- to digest. It's mostly about the technology like Google own uh, feeds. In some cases, there are product change logs that I'm using because it's very convenient. You just know that there is new release, that and that will be break, and that and that will be improved. So you know what to expect in the morning. But are you really able to, you know, uh, digest that many? Uh, <laughs> yes, because in many cases you just uh, can decide in milliseconds by looking at the headline okay. if it's okay or not. So it's kind of automation of news consumption. And on YouTube, I mostly have subscriptions related to engineering in general, like electrical engineering, how things work, uh, everyday astronauts, uh, because I don't want to be like concentrated only on technology. 
and of course I help other people with some friendly subscriptions let's say so for example Google developer groups of other countries mm -hmm. okay um, what about events uh, either online ones or uh, well we, we, we mentioned Google next uh, do you have some other favorite events uh, that you you know you are attending well, first of all, I'm attending the events that I'm organizing. That means the PostgreSQL Estonian group, uh, Dev Club, which is actually Estonian's largest community of developers, and my Google Developer Group as well. And if we look like more global events, maybe, then I would recommend Devternity, which is in Riga and I think in Germany as well now. Uh, I definitely recommend Google I.O., which is not traditional conference, but more like outdoor festival. And Google Cloud Next. Because I'm very passionate about PostgreSQL, I also heavily recommend the PostgreSQL European conference, which is actually in Berlin this year. <laughs> and I, for example, already have the tickets. Okay. So, okay. so, so our listeners can meet you there. And maybe also next, if it will be, you know, well, let's see. <laughs> uh, great. By the way, as we are really getting to the end of the, the podcast, uh, do you have anything else on your mind that you would like to share or uh, briefly discuss? Uh, it's more of recommendation, but if you're passionate about something, there to dedicate some time to that passion and eventually it will pay off in many unexpected ways, like positive ways. Thank you. It's, it's like a nice uh, closing closing remark. So thank you. Thank you very much, Erwin. It was uh, great meeting you uh, again. And uh, I hope uh, that uh, uh, we will see, see you uh, again soon and also catch up in the future. Uh, in another podcast recording on any other event you will be doing here together in Estonia? Well, Estonia is a small country, so we will definitely see each other. And given extra important large events by Google or just meeting at LinkedIn is also an opportunity. Thank you. So, uh, that's all. We are Evolgic, uh, a leading European cloud partner on the market for 25 years and currently also being remote first. We provide professional and managed services to our customers on GCP and also AWS. Uh, we help uh, scaling digital native companies and cloud-ready companies in the cloud. Feel free to check our website, revolg.com, or our LinkedIn, uh, revolg, for more information. Make sure to sure follow uh, our podcast, Erwin on LinkedIn, uh, Google Developer Group in Tallinn, and... Uh, Thanks a lot for listening and uh, see you next time soon. I hope that uh, now after the summer the episodes will be coming more often. And uh, thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Bye.